This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Croiso! It's Friday. Never you mind what time it is. And it's Dragonhearts! There's talk now of fans being allowed back in the racecourse by the end of the season. You'll find a lot of things are different now. There's electronic advertising boards around the sides of the pitch. A documentary crew wandering around filming stuff. And now Luke Young scores goals from inside the penalty area as well. Young got two penalties against Solihull Moors. The first one was a simple affair, but the keeper really should have had the second one. He went down and seemed to be in complete control and then in a, just a glimpse of a second it was over. Just like Sam Ricketts' managerial career. Later we'll hear from Mark Wilson who had a dramatic debut for Wrexham when Gareth Owen was forced to go into goal and we believe that Jay Harris would be our go-to keeper now in an emergency. If Harris does get to put on the gloves He'll be the shortest goalkeeper in professional football since Kilmarnock used Jeanette Cranky in the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer Scottish Challenge Cup. He'll be in that next year. We'll be chatting about the social media boycott, looking back at the Solly Hull game and the Maidenhead draw. We'll talk about your suggestions of the person you'd most like to have a pint with and talk about Wrexham. And Mark Wilson too. So, sit back, listen keenly, while we play for you a brand new football biscuit. It's Dragonheart! I'm Fiacre Kelleher, and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. Hello, welcome to Dragonheart. I'm Mark Griffiths, and this is the third time I've been Mark Griffiths, because twice we've recorded the start of this, and I didn't press record. The second time, there's not much excuse for that, is there, really? Uh, so it's a bit like letting in two Luke Young penalties back-to-back within four minutes of each other. Learn your lesson, Ryan Boot. Anyway, <laughs> I am Mark Griffiths. There's Jay Long. Good to have you back. Oh, yes, I'm very glad to be back, mate. I had a week off last week, you know, scheduling circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, really happy to be back. Yeah, different excuse in each of the three takes. Shocking, isn't it? You can't get this far <laughs> these days. <laughs> we've got a good show ahead of us. We've got a review of the bank holiday weekend action, the two games we played then. We will be looking at your suggestions, which Wrexham figure would you like to have a pint with? And we've got an interview with Mark Wilson, classy Man United player who played on loan to it for us in the 1990s. And that interview went down very well when it was used at half-time in the live stream against Solihull. Well, this is the full interview that you'll be able to hear today. But first, let's get on with the, the serious stuff because we didn't publicise Dragonheart last week because we, as a football club, were taking part in the social media boycott. And it was absolutely, I think, an admirable uh, movement by most football teams, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. It was nice to see the football players and the football teams getting um, get involved and saying to these social media companies, i.e. Facebook and Twitter, saying, listen, we're, we've had enough of this abuse now. It's time to stop. Exactly. Uh, it's despicable, isn't it? I mean, it's despicable behaviour by the people who are who are posting that abuse, uh, but there have to be rules in place to stop them. And the things I can't quite get my head around is I've uploaded videos onto YouTube, for example, uh, 
at Boreham Wood once on the sides of the pitch. And while it's uploading, it gets rejected by YouTube because the Boreham Wood players in the changing room are playing music and we're on the sides of the pitch and we didn't think and that background music has leaked through in. So before the video's even finished uploading, YouTube have got powerful software that can detect what music is on it and whether it's copyrighted, which is remarkable. Um, last week, I uploaded an old podcast, a few old podcasts that, that I realised weren't on the, the feed. And one of them got rejected again before the processing finished on SoundCloud. So that software is out there, and yet they don't have any energy or desire to use it against hateful behaviour and, and abuse. And, and the way I look at it, if you think about it, every school in Britain will have... Uh, an IT system which filters out an acceptable language. If every school can have it, I don't fully understand why social media companies haven't got a much better version. And if we're going to say, yeah, all they do is they'll not use the direct abusive word, well, there's plenty of software out there um, which will check your grammar for you. In fact, anyone who's listening on a laptop or on a phone has got it right there in front of them. Microsoft Word, all the word processors have, have grammar checks and can, under, can make a sensible guess as to what you're saying. And we're really saying that the companies that use spend so much money on software that can pick up a song before the video is even finished uploading can't spend the money to, to work out what might be abusive. I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't think so. It, it must be some sort of thing of saving money, basically, and these people right. have got so much money that every little penny counts to them, doesn't it? So they, why, why do this when they can just ban you? And it, it doesn't work, does it? Because these trolls and these idiots keep on making accounts and accounts and accounts, don't they, to abuse yeah. people. And, you know, Wrexham is a football club and our fans, we're not, we're not, oh, what's the word? Sorry. We're not uniquely, not you, you, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not innocent. In this, you know, mm. you look what Dean Keats has said this week, for example. Yeah, yeah, it was good that he's spoke out there, wasn't it? I think because you know, whether you like him as a manager or not, abuse like that. I mean, people have got to get a grip and, and, and take a step back and look at their lives and what's actually important before you start doing things like that. It was really good he spoke up, wasn't it? Oh, exactly. And, and you know, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying you can't criticize Keats. It's more than fine to criticize his. Keats as a manager. That's fine if that's your opinions. Yeah. That's just football, and we all have our own opinions, don't we? And that's what makes the game great. But then there's abuse and there's being nasty, isn't there? And it's just, you know, this is a guy's job. This is his livelihood. You know, when his children are involved, it's absolutely despicable. Absolutely. Yeah, getting after his kids, his family, wishing ill on him. It's a game, you know, it's a game we love. And we're passionate about it. But that sort of thing, that's not passion. That's just sick and twisted, yeah. frankly. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, anyone who's listened to anything I said knows that I'm, I, I respect uh, Keats and I think he's the man to do the job for us. So I've never hidden that. I think that maybe I've gone, I've sometimes gone a bit further than I had to in saying that, perhaps because I was seeing the level of aggression. And, and I completely agree with you. I think Keats is right for the job, but I, I absolutely respect anyone's opinion that he isn't, mm. as long as it's based on fact and not just hate. And yeah. 
that's the point, isn't it? I'll have, I mean, I think the, the post-match YouTube live streams are a good example of that. Yeah. I, I'm, I think it's extremely healthy to have a, a debate with anyone, whatever their opinion on it, as long as it's mm. a sensible discussion. And that often happens on those live streams, which I love doing, because people come on, they disagree, and we talk about it. And we both agree to disagree and respect the other's opinions. That's fantastic. But this sort of crazy abuse, I mean, it's, you just don't want people like that anyway. They're off a book of doers, to be frank. No, 100%. And they can be completely anonymous as well, can't they? Yeah. Completely, keep complete yeah. incognito, which is the worst thing. So I can bet you, I can bet you some money that majority of those people saying those things will, well, 99.99% of them wouldn't do those things, for one, mm. and two, also wouldn't go and say it to his face. Oh, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't like their chances if I said to Dean Gee to his face, <laughs> to be honest with you. He's, uh, he's not, he's, he can stand up for himself. There's yeah. plenty of midfielders around the country who could vouch for that throughout his career. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's, yeah. it's just, how, how do we go on from here, do you think? How instead of just adding an algorithm because mm. people still think and want to do, people find ways to abuse these players and foot managers and what have you. How, how do we try and stamp it out completely then in the future? I mean, for me, um, I think the example of the Super League is a good one. Uh, legislation. Mm. The, the, thing, the thing that that ultimately scared off the Super League clubs was that the government's said they'd legislate to make this not happen. And there are forms of legislation that could make it not happen. And it's all about money, whether it's the Super League or whether it's about the social media companies. Um, I know this, you know, the, the governments will be nervous of saying to social media companies, we're not going to play ball, we're going to pass legislation that will force you to bring in checks and balances. I know they'd be nervous of doing that, but the fact of the matter, as much as Twitter or Facebook might say, well, if you do that, then we will not be part of you. We'll just shut off in Britain and try to say that. The truth is, Britain's a huge social media market. They can't afford mm. to take a hit of revenues by all of Britain not being covered by them. They're going to have to compromise. Um, I, I think legislation is the answer. The problem, of course, is legislation can't be worldwide. Yeah, so that is the problem. That's the issue, isn't it? Um, so you can have, you know, we've got a football club that are trying to widen our fan base. Well, you know, legislation mm. in Britain may not help us in that in, in completely. You know. But Twitter can put universal terms and agreements of, yeah. you know, any person that gets found. And they probably do have these sort of things now, but, you know, if you do it once, you get banned. Mm. And maybe some sort of way of, you can't make multiple accounts unless it's for a legitimate reason and maybe Twitter look into that as well. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. There's a lot more intelligent people who get paid to do this sort of thing who probably should have figured it out by now anyway. I, I think you can certainly put things in place that are not going to end that sort of activity, but you know, say a, you know, a sort of universal social media passport or something like that, mm. which is evidence of who you are, which means you have to justify, as you said, multiple accounts. So if you get banned, you are banned. Um, mm. That would be something people would find a way around. But I think that probably your casual racist or casual abuser probably won't. I think yeah. motivated people, like the sort of people who puts fake news out to twist current affairs, they'll find that way around it easily. But the sort of casual people who wish horrible things on Dean Keats's children, 
probably once they get banned won't be able to work out a way around it. So maybe that would be a, a good start, wouldn't it? Yeah, it is complicated. 100%. The thing is, that worries me. Is 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 there a desire to to fix it from those companies? Um, you know, that they'll they'll jump, like I said, over the copyright issue because they don't want to upset big business like music publishing. But they won't jump necessarily to protect normal, decent people who just want to have a decent discourse. And that's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, that is a shame. But my old thoughts, in a nutshell, very happy is happy it happened. I think it's shown a light. On, especially on Wrexham, not so much in the wider world because, you know, these big-time managers and these big-time players, they're going to get abuse. They've always had abuse. But it was good to hear that, you know, Dean keeps coming out and saying these things. That yeah. I think it hit home for a lot of Wrexham fans mm. and maybe they appreciate a lot more the job he is actually doing as a manager. So, yeah, yeah I think it was a good thing in total. Absolutely. I just hope people appreciate he is a human being. You know, yeah. you can't speak to people like that. It's just, it's just despicable yeah. to speak to people like that. You know, whether you like why he's doing the job or not is irrelevant. Decency is is universal. So, hundred percent. Well, we, we've we've uh, <laughs> we'll talk about some more fun stuff, shall we? Four points out of six uh, in, in the over the weekend after this. Jordan Pondicelli, and you're listening to the Dragon Art Radio Show. Yeah, two games in three days. Always a bit of a test. We got a win against Solihull Moors at home, and then a draw away to Maidenhead United. I mean, I'm very pleased with the Saturday results. The Monday one was one of those weird ones. I said in the, the sort of introduction to the the match podcast, uh, we should have lost and we should have won. But if you look at Solihull first. Yeah, we had to we had to dig in at the end, but it was a, a good performance. Yeah, I think first half we were excellent. Uh, we were putting real pressure on them. We were playing nice attacking football. Uh, from my recollection, the game may be slightly different to everyone else because I was doing the camera work for BT. So to absorb any information on the game was quite hard. It was just yeah. watching the ball. So it's, it's, it's a completely different experience. Mm. But... It was also quite a bizarre game for my recollection as well because three penalties in one game is a bit of a crazy one, isn't it? And two <laughs> of the penalties being act- actually completely identical was crazy. But yeah, it was a deserved win. But in the back of my head towards the end of the game, I was a bit like, please don't replace, uh, repeat Dagenham again. Yeah. Where we where they clawed two goals back, but we didn't. We, we stayed strong, happy with the result. I seem to be the only person who didn't think of Dagenham at the end of that match. Not that I didn't think we could let him equalise it, but everybody afterwards said, oh, that, I bet you were talking about Dagenham there, weren't you? And I, I thought, yeah, Dagenham gave exactly the same one. Yeah. I thought the first hour we were great, but we should have put them to bed. And, yeah. and the, the, my one little... Con- well, OK, the way the game ended concerned me, but my bigger concern, in a way, was that we can dominate a side like that, play good football, make chances but only score two penalties. We, we didn't get anything in open play, and that, that disappointed me a little, because we really mm-hmm. should have done. We should have absolutely. I mean, we could have been four up at half-time. But I'm glad oh. we did that. It's better that we're playing like that, even if we're missing chances, than when we're finding it difficult to create anything, which has happened, of course, this season. Yeah, exactly. And I I thought, yeah, I thought we our creative nervous was there, just maybe not the final end product. Yeah. And, and that just happens in football at times, and, 
the most important part of this point in the season because we really are at the business end of the season now is getting that three points. My, my main criticism was towards the end of the game. Yeah. I didn't like how we were just lumping it away. Do, do you know what I mean? From what I, my recollection is, Layton, when he had the ball, said so maybe trying to keep pre- uh, possession was just sort of lumping it. And, it ended, and I remember a few times it just ended up going straight back to their keeper mm-hmm. so they could reset and start playing again. I thought Soliel looked really dangerous towards the end of the game too. Credit to them. I thought, yeah, they were... I, I, a few times this season, people have talked about Wrexham panicking and just hoofing it anywhere. And, and in some of the previous occasions, I've not really agreed. But this time I agree. Yeah. Um, this time, um, I thought it, was, well, it wasn't necessary. We could have kept playing. There were a lot of just pounding the ball away. Sometimes when the strikers would come back to help defend and there was nobody up there and players had time on the edge of the box and, and it was just a little bit of a panic, I think. And instead of just taking the ball down and looking around, smashing it away, I remember. And here's, here's going to be a rarity. It's only a tiny criticism. But I'm going to say something about Luke Young that isn't positive, believe it or not. Uh, because <laughs> th- there was one point where he did that. He got the ball on the edge of the box. Mm. He had a bit of space and a bit of time. And Luke Young, I think, is very good. And, and Keats talks about this, at keeping calm and playing the constructive pass in those sort of pressured positions. And if you look back at our goals this season, there are three or four that have started because instead of just getting rid of it, Young has been calm enough to take a touch and feed it to somebody and, and start the, a breakaway. Um, and yet he was doing that. And I, he and Harris, I think, are our best players in those positions. Uh, and, and I thought, gosh, yeah, there really is a little bit of edginess here. I've got to be honest, until that scramble at 92nd minute and then the corner where Stora probably should have scored, I felt it was one of those games where they're camped in our half, but they're not making chances. I thought we defended it fairly well, even though we were panicking and booting it straight back to them. But but yeah, having said that, those two instants right back to back right at the end could easily have been an equaliser and we'd have thrown away two points that we should have had in the bag by half time. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 again, it was a Dagenham flashbacks. And I think they were, the fact that they were just creating territory, I think probably just makes us as Wrexham fans just a little bit uneasy. Oh, yeah. Because that, because you can just throw away points like that. And we were the dominant side. And it, at the end of the day, it is what it is. We've got the three points. Just forget about it now. What, what, what did you think about the debutant? They well, Cameron Green, didn't they? Um, yeah. They did. Nice on the ball, didn't they? Quick going forwards. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you, you were impressed by him, weren't you? Yeah, I was impressed. Maybe maybe because um, maybe he's not used to adult football, maybe because he's not used to the system we're playing in at the moment. But yeah, I, I think I think he could definitely be an asset for the future. And I, I think it, I like the way he conducted himself mm. post-game as well. You could tell he's a very intelligent lad. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I was really impressed him going forward, dribbling, and I think he's a really good back backup for Jamie Record because I think if Record gets injured, I'd rather him come in because I think Jordan Davis is really good in the middle. Yeah, I think that's the logic of bringing Green in. I think yeah. that Davis can settle in the middle of the pitch and start hurting teams like he's been doing lately. Yeah, um, I, th- I thought Green had problems with Adai, the the winger. Um, yeah generally a die was getting his crosses in. He, he wasn't making Green look stupid and dumping him on his backside, doing what Anthony Jeffrey did to Kevin Rogers two seasons ago, uh, Roberts two seasons ago. Mm. But every time he ran at him, he got the cross in. 
And so that that area is something maybe Green needs to have a little look at. But he looks intelligent with his movements and uses the ball well. And I just loved that at the very start when he made that that cute run where he faked to go outside, went inside, and Amateo backheeled him in behind the defence. He thought, oh, this is a lad who's thinking on his feet here. Mm. Uh, I, I really like the look of that. So, yeah, I, I was really pleased with him. What about the yeah. penalty decisions then, Shay? Were they penalties? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. But theirs was. But first was I think the first one was the first one was the Retail Johnson one wasn't it yeah and you have to recap the second one for me because I can't quite remember it off the top of my head beautiful ball by Jordan Davis to put Angus yeah. in one on one yeah and then Angus cut across his man and went down I've got to be honest at the yeah time, he slipped didn't he yeah, I, yeah. I, at the time I was utterly utterly convinced that that was a penalty and I wasn't so sure yeah. about the whole Johnson one um, I, I, I was certain I heard his foot hit his shin by that. It was a definite hard noise at the right point, but looking at it again, maybe not. Mm, yeah. Uh, the second one, he he did look like he slipped. I thought the first one was definitely a penalty, yeah, to be yeah. fair. He cut him off. Didn't really make much contact with the ball. Yeah. But, yeah, I think the first one was definitely a penalty. Maybe not so much the second one, but you take them, don't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I was thinking after the match, uh, yeah, okay, we're a little lucky with that second penalty. Although i got to say, you know, defending the referee here, <laughs> record the moment I said that, um, the referees, uh, it looked, it was one of those that really looked like a cast iron penalty. And you could mm-hmm. understand the ref getting it wrong. I only started feeling suspicious when I started thinking... Why are Solihull arguing so much? They didn't argue much about the first penalty. The second one, they were going nuts. Yeah, they were going wild. Who, did it, who carried on moaning at Angus while they were waiting on the edge of the D for the penalty to be taken. And I said, yeah. why? Why do you argue on something so obvious? But now I've seen the replay. All right, I got it. <laughs> I think I can see why. But yeah. I mean, I, the way I look at it is, all right, we got a bit lucky there. But if referees... You know, make these mistakes in our favour, they certainly make them against us as well. We'd have four yeah. more points if we'd had better referees in the two Eastley games. Because yeah. the penalty that got them the equaliser at Eastley was an utter joke. Yeah. And the penalty, in fact, there was a very similar instance in the Man City uh, Paris Saint-Germain game, where it was a, a high boots to clear the ball in the six-yard box, even off the line. There was no thought of a penalty, and there was no appeal for a penalty, like the Eastley one. Yeah. Uh, and then in the, East, the game at home to Eastley, of course, remember we had Kelleher sent off when he didn't touch the man. And then we had records in the, in the closing stages when it was two all pulled back in the penalty area and the penalty wasn't given. So we should have four points more. So if we gain two of them yeah. back there, that's that they could. Yeah, exactly. And I think National League referee and, and officiating at times, it could be a bit like a roulette, can't it? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think sometimes they just decide to make decisions when they want to. <laughs> yeah. and one thing I have noticed about the officiating this year in general, it's a bit more of a general point rather than specific on the game, is, and then maybe it's because it's closed doors, I find that the team that screams and makes the most noise usually gets the decision. Mm. I, I think you're right. I think it, it brings home very clearly when you're in the ground how noisy some teams are. I mean, Eastley, it, it, mind you, on the stream, you could pick that up as well. Yeah. Eastley were the chopsiest team that you could imagine. I mean, they really yeah. were. In fact, it's why striking in a way, Solly Hull got Kyle Storer. Kyle Storer knows how to, how to stalk a referee to distraction. <laughs> it didn't work on Saturday, but uh, no. 
but yeah, it's you're right. Yeah, you, you really can see people pressuring refs and hassling them. You see referees making well, again refer back to that Man City game when the ref erroneously gave a penalty uh, to PSG for handball. It really looked like he wasn't giving it. There was a lot of screaming, and then he suddenly gave it. Now, it could have been the, the linesman's feeding something to him, to be fair. Yeah, be yeah. Reason for the delay, to be fair to him. It did look like the players appealed and got it on appeal, sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, well, you're saying about referees. Ironically, I would argue that uh, at Maidenheads, we maybe yeah. should have two penalties and yeah. didn't get them. Yeah, so it, it sort of balanced itself out of, throughout the course of the season, really, doesn't it? Mm. So, well, we mentioned the Maidenhead game. Let's talk about it. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe not the first half, though. <laughs> I mean, well, the, wind, the wind was the cause of, of was the determining factor in that match, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought first 10 minutes we looked pretty sharp. Yeah. yeah. I thought, we looked, I thought, oh, look, we're looking, we're looking quite sharp here. Mm. And then I... I remember, I don't know what time their first goal went in, but I, I went up to get myself a drink from the fridge. I come back, and I heard my brother make a wild noise, and I looked, and he, this guy sh- shot from the halfway line. Yeah, it was yeah. an incredible goal, wasn't it? It was fantastic. And I, I've got to say, I mean, it looks bad for Lington, but is his position that wrong, really? The ball's in the centre circle in their half of the pitch. I, 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 I've got to, I mean, I thought it was utter genius, because when you look at it, he doesn't like go forwards and have a look up and suddenly think, "Oh, is, is this on?" The moment he when he t- first touches the ball, I think he's got it in his mind. He just takes the touch to clear it out from his feet, and then he hits it. He's decided yeah. when the ball's coming towards him, "I'm going to try this." Uh, and the, w- the wind helped. The wind definitely yeah. helped because yeah. you could tell the trajectory of the ball. If there was no wind, it might yeah. have dipped down a little bit more for Leighton to maybe get a hand on it. But I thought, "Wow, yeah. what an excellent goal!" and yeah, and fair fair play to him for for attempting that, but that that was just a crazy moment. I thought, oh no, and I thought both their goals in the first half were mm. pretty crazy, weren't they? Oh, the second goal was awful. You know, like yeah. I said, I think the first is one of those that looks bad, but I don't know, in reality, is it anything more than genius? Yeah, because could be goal national league goal of season. That yeah. could, uh, and he's yeah. using the like you say, he's taken into account it's windy, and this sort of thing is on. Um, yeah. I would also say, all right, then, if people are going to say his lane's in too far off his line, well, let's look at where the defensive line is. Yeah. Because he can't leave a huge gap between him and the defensive line. We'll let more than one goal in a season if, if the keeper's too deep and you can just pass him behind our defenders and, and go one-on-one without the keeper coming out to collect. How many times do you see keepers coming out to the edge of the area just beating up players or someone to the ball mm. and smacking it in the seats? Well, all those would be one-on-ones if the keeper stands deeper. Or your defence goes deeper and then teams have got more room to pass around yeah. in front of them. So I don't think he's necessarily out of position. He's not the tallest goalkeeper. Maybe it doesn't count in no. his favour. If he's, you know, if he's uh, Andy, Andy Coughlin, six foot five, he maybe stretches yeah. and gets a hand on that. But he's a great keeper. So, you know, that's life, isn't it? I don't, I don't think he was that at fault. The second goal was shocking. The yeah. second goal was awful. It really yeah. was. It, it sort of went, we, French should have cleared better, shouldn't he? Really? Yeah. Uh, do you think the wind played a part in that goal as well? I don't know. I mean, for me, the issue, the what, the first big issue is that Conley gets the ball in the edge of his own area and runs to the edge of our area without anyone challenging him. 
So yeah. So you know, and I must say, maybe we should talk later about how Keats rotated the team. And, yeah. and I, I thought it was justifiable what he did. But having said that, um, I expected him to rest Harris, actually. But nonetheless, I think a midfield of Harris in it is more likely to stop. <laughs> you know, you can't get through mm. the middle of us so easily when Jay Harris is there. And somebody needs to have a tackle him or foul him. Uh, and you can't let a player run that far without a challenge. And then, like you say, Fr- French has miscued it. And I, I, I'm not inclined to blame the wind on that. I think he's just... Yeah. The ball's come. It's a poor pass by Conley, and I like yeah. French, but for some reason, on his weaker foot, he's just took a wild swing at it and sliced it up in the air. Uh, and that's the thing. I think we shouldn't get on French's back too much. Oh. There's a lot of fans on Twitter give, getting on his back. I think you know he's. You got to remember, he's only 22 himself, and he, he's playing with the maturity of a player far beyond his age, isn't he? So, I think we're all due. We're, we're all we can all make mistakes, especially on a football pitch, especially in those conditions. So, yeah, it was a poor goal to concede. Yeah. And going into the second half, two downs, um, it wasn't good, was it? Well, we're quite lucky to be two down as well. They had other chances as well that wouldn't yeah. have cleared under the bar just after that goal. Yeah, I would say that French as well. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. <clears throat> he he made a mistake. We make mistakes. We're human. You know, you don't yeah. crucify him over that. All players will make mistakes. Um, but it wasn't his mistake at first. The the whole team unit is responsible for letting Comley get that far. And then after he sliced it, all right, that's not great. Pearson had stepped out because he was trying to do something about Comley, but the pass took him out of the equation. And then the rest of the defence stood there when the ball was scooped up in the air. And it wasn't Linton's to come for. Linton couldn't come for that. Um, you know, the other defenders really yeah. needed to be putting bodies on the line and yeah. instead we didn't and you've got the centre of our penalty area the place that should be guarded the most where one um, maidenhead player can take a wild swing at a volley and miss the ball completely and Conley can still alive on it and slam it in I mean there shouldn't be I'm just speaking as an ex-goalkeeper here I mean you want to push a shot away sideways if you can you can't always yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you push a shot back into the goal mouth you expect your centre your defenders to be switched on and get in there first. Well, yeah. there you are, right in the middle of the, the box. The ball's floating in the air, so it's not as if it suddenly arrived there. There's no one there. And I'd say Pearson's right, I think, to step out and try and do something. Nobody's covered him. And, and mm. they, they just stood and looked. It's horrible. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to banish that from my mind now, sorry. Yeah, yeah. second half so much better, isn't it? I mean, straight away, we'll be, let the wind behind us, we're getting at them. We immediately have Jordan Davis's penalty shouts, which looked like a penalty to me. Yeah, it was a penalty to me. Yeah. I, I, I don't know whether I was being... It, the stream was a bit... The, wasn't the highest of quality. And I'm not bashing Maidenhead for that. Everyone's got to work with what they've got to work with. But I, I, I thought that was a penalty. I didn't really see any contact with the ball, really. So... Well, there's two coming either side. And yeah. One of them... I mean, I've... Uh, in doing the highlights got a slightly better resolution version which I still when I pulled in wasn't great but I could see it a bit better two players come in one from either side one I think does maybe nick the ball the other one's both, but they've both gone across Davis and, and, and the other one has caught his leg Massey's caught his leg it's a pass we're very unlucky yeah. and I think if he got one back straight away then wow I think that that halfway line goal was a punch in the guts for us that we took 25 minutes to recover from if they'd let a goal in then straight away when we were up for it, that could have we could have won that game then. I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so too. Mm. I I remember saying to my brother while we were watching, I think we're going to win this now. Yeah, yeah. And when we walked out, I think we looked like a more... We looked a better side. And the, the one thing I'm really... I'm not happy that we got a draw, but in all credit to Maidenhead, I thought they had a good game. I thought they played some mm. nice football at times yeah. as well. So I thought that Comley was, looked like an excellent player. So, yeah, I'm not going to bash their performance because you got to remember... Yeah, Maidenhead, United's not a glamorous name, but these guys come to win too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I just thought they're a chance of the playoffs outside. Yeah, chance, no, but... exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think a lot of Wrexham fans can forget that at times that, yeah, we are in the same league as these teams, aren't we? And these teams are still good teams, even yeah. though they don't have the glamorous names. I, I, anyway. I'm sorry, I've always got a bit of a soft spot for Maidenhead in the way because, yeah. um, you know, they came, what was it, three seasons ago? And they've pretty much kept the same basis of their size. And I, and I, I yeah. quite like that. And, I, and I, there's a quite a few of their players I like. I mean, Conley, you're right, has stood out all. Yeah. He's always been a good sort of boss in the middle of midfield. The strikers are quite lively. Orsi and Coley are quite lively. And they've got some nice players, I think. The sense about Massey is strong. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've got a lot of time for Maidenhead, actually. Yeah. Although there are two negatives against them. One of which is that they didn't really play ball with our media team on Monday, which was rather poor, which meant I had to commentate out in my front room again. Um, and secondly, that do you realise what's on what is actually on the corner of their pitch? It's the corner on the right hand side of the camera, so you couldn't get to see it, but it's just there on the corner of the pitch. Theresa May's constituency office. Ah, uh, right. Football and politics shouldn't mix people. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I yeah. want it to. <laughs> well, we did but, come back well, didn't we? We made chances. Yeah, we missed chances. Jordan got that nice header in again. Again, he loves a header goal, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> we have been very a... good set pieces this year, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Who who put the ball in again? Was it uh, Luke Young? Luke Young. It, or... Yeah, yeah. And whether it be Young or Record, we're dangerous from either side, aren't we? As well, so it, it's mm. been really nice to watch. And I really enjoy, uh, you know, it, it is good preparation. The number of, we've scored a few goals and made a hell of a lot more chances from that move of a player leaving the near post to touch it on. Davis has scored twice from them. Um, Jay Harris was doing that role at the start of the season and he was causing all sorts of problems with his little flick-ons. Um, yeah, we, we've, we've got good delivery and good ideas, good moves, set moves mm. from corners. And Yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah. And um, sadly, though, Jordan, who I thought had an excellent second half, missed that fantastic chance to he when Dior Angus and Rutherford combined and teed yeah. him up. And it was a, looking at it again, it's a great block on the line by Parry, but he probably should have scored. Yeah, he, he probably should have. And that, but again, he's also scored some crazy ones this season as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, can't, we, we can't knock him too oh, much no. for that. Um, and then Sang come off, didn't he? And, no, mm. we, the sw- switch for Sang and Dio was what cemented our mm. our draw, really. And I think Sang had a good game. I thought yeah. he looked lively and he looked really up for it, didn't he? To be fair to him. So cre- credit to him. He's got something about him, Sang, hasn't he? We've been yeah. saying that, haven't we? Just when he's coming on for a couple of minutes, you can see he's got, so- he's got something. He set up um, Amatayo for his goal at uh, Woking really nicely. Mm. And he, he works very hard. He's very energetic. He covers a lot of ground and he holds the ball up pretty well. And he was getting a couple of good crosses in as well. He he reminds me a bit of when Andy Morrell first came to Wrexham because obviously everyone thinks about that promotion season and then him coming back and, and being excellent in the National League. But when he first came to Wrexham, 
you know, he was already like 24, 25. He'd not had a professional club until then. So he was a late starter. And in the early years, until he started scoring in the Welsh Premier Cup, um, he was exceptionally hardworking and didn't score many goals and never got a proper long run in the team because of that. Um, but you could, you know, you, you want, you liked seeing him playing because he would chase anything and everything and keep going for 90 minutes. And Sang reminded me of that a little bit. He wasn't that threatening on goal. Although he nearly scored from records free kick in the second half, that header. Yeah. But um, his touch for Jordan Davis, by the way, for that penalty shout, you look back on that, it's beautiful little yeah. dink, like Dennis Bergkamp, that kills the ball on, on the, on, as he jabs it down like a snooker player. Stuns it in front of their beautiful little touch. He's got he's got something about him. He could he could develop him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know how old is he. I think he's twenty two. I think so. It's, it's still young, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's still early on in his career. Here's, here's my question to you: Against Yeovil on Saturday, uh, do you start him and Dior up front together? That is a hell of a question. <laughs> I'm just checking his age. Uh, I put Chris Snag so. That might not be perfect. Yeah, he's not come up. Uh, <laughs> I knew there was a snag in doing that. Bobonch. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Uh, no, 20... Oh, bo- bo- I can't count. I can't count under pressure. Oh, I could count under pressure. 21. Yeah. He's 22 in June. Do you start them together? Amateur looked a bit laggy, didn't he? I thought on the yeah. day. He looked shattered at the end, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the two games in three days again. I mean, this is the point you say about rotation. Uh, I know that they've been looking to rest Angus for a while, but haven't been able to because of so many injuries. And then two games in three days, I suspected he'd be on the bench. So you might be yeah. on the tile. Although, of course, it's a different type of attack then. I mean, quite a bit went on to Sang's head and he didn't get anywhere. I mean, to be fair, it was Manny Parry picking him up and he's a mountain. Not many strikers, yeah. apart from proper target men, will beat him in the air. So we won't have much in the air going forwards. Um, I think he'll pick on Matayo. But I, I see the logic of Sang and Angus. Sangus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, it, it writes itself. <laughs> or maybe um, you start Ponticelli and Dior Angus if Ponticelli's fit again. Yeah, because yeah. Um, they looked quite threatening against Notts County for the first few minutes, didn't they? They did. So, so may, maybe we have scope to change things. I'm not saying Gold Mateo's not done a fantastic job, mm. but he did look tired, and you know he's just come from not playing football for a while to playing two game nearly what two games a week. Yeah, you know, we've yeah. we got to have some sort of rotation as well, haven't we, for all our players? Yeah, angles to start, like you say, and of course he got that nice equaliser. It's interesting, isn't it? He, he likes doing that, doesn't he? When he gets goal side of a defender, he cuts across him. That's how he won the yeah. penalty against Solly Hull. And when you look at that uh, goal, and um, the right-back, Shackleford, actually does get a toe to it when Davis puts it through. Angus gets it, he tries to go across him and Shackleford gets a toe mm-hmm. to it. And Angus does really well, shows his pace that he can sort of do a quick arc and still get onto the ball first and score. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's... Uh, I'm pleased to see that, you know, six goals, decent return, considering when he came, you know, not so long ago. I, I think, like we were saying about the changes as well, I understand why Angus is rested. They wanted him to have a rest yeah. and Sang did a decent job in his place. You can't blame him for the first half performance. Yeah. He, he was probably our best player in the first half, to be frank. Um, and then 
record coming back for Green, although Green did well. I think he would want record back in because he's a yeah. key player. Uh, Harris being rested. Well, I, like I said, I thought it would happen. He took a couple of very heavy knocks against Solly Hull, and I thought, oh, game again two days later. Might be wise to let yeah. him have a bit of recovery time. And also that midfield with Rutherford rather than Harris is what you know drove us to those two 4 0 away wins. So again, yeah, that's a good counter-attacking midfield, isn't it? They're all quick, they're all want to get yeah. forwards, and you know, so it made logical sense that that was a game where you could rest Harris and bring Rutherford, who was unlucky to be dropped back in. And then French for yeah. Hall Johnson again, I think makes sense in that it looks, I assume, because I don't think there's been anything official said, Hall Johnson maybe just carrying something. Yeah. Seems to get to easily play two games in the week, never mind two in three days. So French coming in, he's done well in the away games, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the feeling I got. I think I'd rather keep Riesel Johnson for the home fixtures, uh, for the home fixture on Saturday, rather than playing him twice in the bounce. I, I you know, even though I know Tyler French didn't have the best game on Monday, I still think he's, he can be equally as good at times because he's a completely different sort of style of right wing back. So I, I think the changes made sense because two games in three days is a hell of a lot, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I he's it's the first bad game he's had for us. Yeah, and even then he tried to impersonate me, Saul Johnson, uh, because I wasn't just as I didn't spot the Dagenham link, but I certainly spotted the Weymouth link in this game. And yeah. of course, Hall Johnson scored with a cross to win it. And Tyler French, well, he forced to save from the goalie with a cross. And then he hit the bar with a cross as well. So he, yeah. was, uh, he was a good impersonation in that sense. Exactly. So let's say, or in a nutshell, what's your thoughts on this game? I don't know. Like I said, we, we should have won it and we should have lost it. So I guess a draw is fair enough. I don't know, I feel a bit dissatisfied with that. I feel in the second half, we could have won it. And when you look back at all the chances we had, we really had a chance to win that game. But, you know, okay, we didn't. We accept it. We move on. And the fact is, that's a decent point away from home against a side that still hopes to get in the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I, I'm satisfied, I guess. Just about. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm reasonably happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't usually be happy, but... If we look at, you know, the older shot game where we lost 3-0 um, mm. earlier on in the season and yeah. games like that, we could have... E- and, you know, the Wheelstone game away mm. uh, where we lost <laughs> 4-3 or 4-3 in the end. Um, our side could have crumbled in the second half and yeah. we didn't. We come back and we face, we give them a good game. We give them more than a good game. We probably mm. should have won. So, yeah. We're not losing these sorts of games anymore. And I'd happily take a draw from that. And I thought yeah. Maidenhead played well themselves. So, yeah, I, I was reasonably happy with that result. I mean, uh, maybe to put it in context, we're now beating them five again. We seem to be doing well. Yeah. At putting in 2021, we've been doing well stringing together these unbeaten little runs. We're unbeaten in five. We've won three of our last five. Um, we've won, we're unbeaten in six away from home. And we've won three of our last six away from home now. I think whichever way you cut it, that is at the very least playoff form. So, yes, yeah, it sounds. I'll, I'll take it. I feel a bit weird about this, the game. But then, like I said, the two halves are so different. I guess you're always going to feel weird about it. We could have been 4 0 down at half time and we could have scored yeah. four in the second half. So, yeah, it was what it was, I think. Yeah. And as long as we stay in and around the playoff area, that's where we want to be at the end of the season. Yeah. Being in the playoffs is a goal because then you're only a f- few games away from getting promoted. Mm. And that, 
<laughs> and we can or we can just build on from next season. So yeah. yeah. I'm reasonable. I'm reasonable. I'm not like dancing happy, but going from 2-0 down to pulling it back and making it look like we could could have nearly won the game. Reasonably happy with that. Exactly, exactly. Uh well let's move on then because Next, we're going to hear from Mark Wilson. Mark Wilson, a, a player who was in, in his season at Wrexham, took part in a playoff race, although it was a playoff race to try and get into league, uh, the playoffs of League One. Uh, he was a real quality midfielder on loan from Man United, a, a lovely fella, an intelligent uh, speaker about the game as well, who had an absolutely unbelievable debut at Burnley. And so, like I said, this has been used, a short version of this has been used on the live stream of the Solihull Moors game, but the full interview is, is great. So uh, let's not, don't waste your time listening to me any longer. Here's the man himself, Mark Wilson. I'm Luke Young, and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show. Oh, well, well firstly, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I, I massively appreciate it. You came to us, of course, on loan from Man United when we were pushing for promotion. But I've, I think there's only one real place I can start here. As debuts go, even being at Old Trafford under Alex Ferguson couldn't prepare you for what happened at Burnley, I don't think, could it? <laughs> it, it you know what? It was entertaining from beginning to end, Mark. Um, I remember Brian Carey uh, picking me up. Um, and the gaffer, Brian, he said, look, jump in the car with the lads. You don't need to come all the way to, to Wrexham to then drive back to, to Burnley. And um, I remember was getting stuck in traffic. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, first, first opportunity in league football and we're going to be late. And we actually got there, I think, 40 minutes before kickoff, 30 or 40 minutes. So I'm walking and I'm like, boss, I'm sorry. He's like, Mark, don't worry. Brian had this calming presence he said mark there's your kit don't worry about it everything will be fine don't sweat it get ready go out go warm up and he just put me at ease immediately um and yeah then what ensued was obviously i started on the bench and um we had our keeper sent off and gaz owen who i actually reconnected with uh you know a while back decided he uh, he wanted to be a goalkeeper and what a job he did yeah. incredible so all five for eight of him i think um, did an incredible job and you know I came on um, scored the winner scored, scored the winning goal and celebrated with the fans and that was my first real professional football yeah. celebration you know so running up to the fans and seeing them up there and I had my mum and dad there my uncle there it was, uh, it was a really special moment for me and, and probably one that well I know was the catalyst for, for a 17 year career in a game and, and remarkable. I mean, it was one all. It was it was only like thirty four minutes in. That's, I, I sounded like I was just being encyclopedic. I got a spreadsheet in front of me and told me that. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not taking the credit for that. You've still got another fifty six minutes to go. We've got no keeper. We've got I've got to say not the tallest midfielder in goal. And Burnley's intimidating. I mean, you, you know, to to come out like that to defend a non specialist keeper like that is remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and then. And then for, for you to get up the other end and actually score and get the win out of it, I mean, that's just, it's a remarkable way, like you say, to almost start a professional career in a way. Yeah, great, great memories and the strangest of games, but, you know, baptism of fire almost, but it was, yeah, what, what an incredible start to my time with Wrexham and 
just loved every every second of being at the club. You were rewarded in the next match, amazingly, by being left on the bench and not coming on, which is... Oh, yeah, I, I reminded Brian of that when I saw him again at Doncaster, actually. Yeah. Why did he get on the bench? He had a plan for me. He clearly yeah. had a plan for me. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, because because basically every game you were fit for after that, you started. And, yeah. you know, you made a big impact. Now, I mean, firstly, coming on loan from United, mm. you know, nowadays... When a, a lower division team is getting an on loan signing from a, a Premier League team, it, it tends to be a youth player who's probably not going to make it, in all honesty, or he's a long way off making it. But then, you know, you, you're you're in the reserves, you're close to the first team, and it showed. I mean, that you certainly you you looked to have more ability than players in that level had, and it was a huge assistance to us. Mm. You know, it it was um it was an opportunity for me to. They were my confidence playing men's football, first team men's football. Um, and it's funny, playing for United, growing up in those ranks. And I, I also came through the Lillishaw Academy piece. So, you know, playing for your country as well, build, it gives you that confidence. And I think it's important you carry confidence without ego. Um, so when I came into Wrexham, it, I, it wasn't that I had so much to prove. It was just that I wanted to show, be a part of the team and show what I was capable of. You know, that was my test from, from the gaffer, from Sir Alex Ferguson and Brian Flynn, who, who I played for twice, actually, again at Swansea. Um, he said, look, Mark, I've seen you play a number of times. This was actually before the Burnley game. I just want you to do what you do best, play play with freedom. And those words alone just set me up to to do the things I, I did it with the ball. But I, I've got to say, I was surrounded by some fantastic players. Yeah. You know, Peter Ward, Dave Brammer and, and, you know, Dean Spinks up front. They all had their own unique skill set. Uh, Carl Connolly, I mean, what a, what a player Carl Connolly was. Uh, big bright carry at the back. And we just had this great blend and all kind of knew what our strengths were. Um, and really complimented each other and, and put some, some good performances together. Well, yeah, I mean, you certainly did. I mean, that was a side that the previous year got to the last stage of the FA Cup and there'd been intelligence additions like yourself added to it. And we were pushing for promotion. Your arrival coincided with us well, stopping a little losing streak and going on a winning streak. And we mm-hmm. were climbing up higher and higher up the table, got as high as third, in fact. Uh, we beat Wickham and got third. And at that point, you're thinking, well, we're, we get a, an automatic promotion spazzy. Yeah, we. I mean, we were looking at that. We we'd found a rhythm, and there was one name I, I missed out there who I love playing with, Gazzo, and great great midfielder. And um, you know, we we firmly believed we we could take on anybody in that league and and beat them. And we we grew in confidence. We I remember us conceding some goals in games we should have won. Yeah. You know, um, for sure. I I think was it the Wickham game where we did we tie two two with Wickham, yeah, and then again we got, with Brentford. Brent, Brent, that was it. We beat Wickham and York City. I remember yeah. us going a goal up and being comfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then yeah. we we may have t- tied that game as well. But I lost it at home. Yeah, you scored. At home, that was it. it. Yeah. Your memory's better than mine, Mark. And yeah, I've got a special um, to be like I said. I'll, I'll pretend <laughs> I'm, I remember it, but I don't. <laughs> um, but there were games we should have really won and, and secured an automatic spot, and we didn't. Um, but it was still one hell of a ride. And I know we lost out on the very last day. We went away to Southend, didn't we? And won three nil. The 3-1, yeah, yeah. 3-1 and Adi Akinbayi, did he, did he score for Bristol Rovers in the last, died a dying second? That's it, yeah, yeah. I so, mean, 
it was it was heartbreaking. But the, you know what a great memory, regardless of all that, to beat Cardiff mm. in the cup final. Still a wonderful memory for me. But certainly, I mean, like you say about missing out on the last day, I mean, so frustrating. The top yeah. six were in the playoffs. It's not bad gone. The top six were the playoff places. We finished eighth, but we were equal with fifth on yes. points. We all had 70 points yeah. and we missed out on goal difference, like you say. Um, it's just so cruel to miss out. I remember that South End game very, very clearly. We really, there was a real sense of, um, to me, as a pessimist, you turn up the games thinking something will go wrong. There was a real sense of, oh, we will not have a problem with this game. We were always yeah. going to beat South End. You just, you just yeah. see it in the way we approached it, the, the professionalism of the team was fantastic. There was a job to be done and, and we did it. Um, I remember the South End because they finished bottom and their fans were furious and I think came on the pitch at the end like to protest. I but, remember that, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but we were terrific and then waiting to hear the scores coming through and realising, like you said, that we'd been pepped so cruelly. Yeah, it was, it was tough to hear because again, you know, going down to South End and putting on a performance like that, um, you know, I, I know you can look back and say we, we, we'd given away some of the games we, we should have won. Um, but it just felt like we had that momentum in the game. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, you know, we, we're controlling the game. Mm. It's almost meant to be. We're going to get in there. We're going to go into the playoffs. And with the team we had, we, we could beat anybody on our day. So it was, it was a real shame we never got to showcase that in the playoffs. I would have fancied us in the playoffs because firstly, as we'd shown the previous season in the Cup, we weren't an easy team to beat and we were a team that could rise to an occasion. And like you said, we built up some good momentum and self-belief there. Yeah, we had. It was a real shame. Yes, it was. Yeah. But uh, but we did show we're good in cup competitions in the Welsh Premier Cup. I think it was called the Welsh Invitation Cup that year, yeah. which was started that year. It was a sort of strange setup, basically born on the FA of Wales, I think realising that by stopping the Welsh teams getting into Europe, yeah. by not playing in the Welsh Cup, they made a mistake, I think, really, to be honest. Right. Um, and you were, well, I mean... You were massive in that competition. You scored against Swansea in the quarterfinals. We, we beat them on penalties. Mm-hmm. Scored in the semi-final against Newtown. And then, surprise, surprise, in the final against Cardiff, you scored again and we won the cup. I mean, it's a, it was a strange sort of tournament. I have a vague... Was it, was it that, that there was no trophy? Or the trophy was... They, they turned up on the day with it, I think. And there was suspicion about whether it existed the day before. Um, but it was a strange setup in some ways, but brilliant to win a trophy at the end of it all. It was, yeah. I remember that night. We had a great night to, to celebrate, as always. And um, we took that competition seriously, yeah. and especially having to beat Swansea and then beat Cardiff. No disrespect to Newtown either. You know, that was, that was yeah. a tough game. Um, you know, it, it, it's knockout competition, and it doesn't matter whatever level you, you pitch knockout at, at a professional level, it, it's it's highly competitive. You want to win every game. And we, you know, going into the final against Cardiff, it was like playing at the, the FA Cup final. You know, we, we wanted to win that game. It was it was a packed house. You want to finish on a high so you can roll into the next season and and, and start off well. And um, it, it was an entertaining game. And, you know, blessed, blessed to have scored in all all three games I played in and, and especially in the final. But again, I, you know, I certainly 
don't, I'm not going to say I don't take all the credit. The credit has to go to, to the team I was playing in. Again, I, the players around you help you become who you are. So when I think about the moments of success I had on the field, I don't want to sound cliched or come by our, but the team contributes to your individual success. And we had a fantastic team at that point. Absolutely. Um, the, the sad thing for me, and something I suppose I was sort of aware of all the way through, was that, I mean, I, I'm surely right in saying this, there was no way we could hold on to you on a long-term basis because you had a future at Old Trafford, and to be fair, you know, people aren't going to turn that possibility down <laughs> in order to, to stay with us. I know, you know, I mean, uh, that, so you went back to United naturally, um, yeah. and, and looked to make the impact there. Yeah, look, I... I always wondered if I'd ever find my way back to Wrexham, having loved my time there, you know, even later on as I was moving through the leagues. But, you know, that was my, my test from, from the gaffer, from Ferguson. And it was, if you can go there and perform well, um, you'll, you'll get an opportunity to be a part of the first team squad. And although I only went on to play 10 games in three more years at United, which is a terrible games to years ratio, um, it wasn't easy to remove a Keane, a, a Scholes, a Nicky Butt at that time and um, you know but I still got to live out my my boyhood dream it, it was my club um, I, I still love the club today and go back and occasionally do some TV stuff for them but what a what a privilege to pull on that jersey and walk out on that field and um, and be around that environment for, for the time I spent there I was going to say it must be a hell of an experience as a, a United fan to walk out at a packed Old Trafford um, Years ago, I was interviewing the daughter of a player who played for Wrexham at the start of the 20th century, who signed mm. for Aston Villa. And when he walked out, was so astonished by the crowd, he fainted on the pitch. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that, that experience to go out and do that is, is the opposite, surely, to, to come out and think, wow, this is, this, is, this is it. That must be an astonishing buzz. It's, um, you know, you, you're prepared, so... I always say if you, if you stood in a tunnel and, and you, you felt unprepared or you didn't belong, you would never be there. Yeah. So you stand in a tunnel with an air of confidence, the, the, the confidence that the manager's instilled in you, the confidence you have from training every day with the first team and performing well and, and being around those players and competing and showing that you're capable. Mm -hmm. So when you do stand in a tunnel for, for the first time, you know you've, you've earned it. Yeah. And... Um, my, my actual debut was the year we won the treble. So it was away in Bromby and then I was on the bench against Barcelona and got told to warm up after five minutes because Nicky Butt went down. So it was squeaky bum time a little in the new Camp at that point. And, but I, as soon as I got up and, and kind of ran up and down, I was like, get me on. Yeah. Get me in the mix. I want to play. Nicky recovered and, and carried on. And phenomenal game, actually, three all. Um, but my home debut was, was something special for me. My mum my and dad in the stand... And I remember, you know, standing in the tunnel and I've got my dream midfield there. It's, it's Skulls, it's, you know, Beckham, it's Giggs and it's me. <laughs> you know, pinch me. Uh, but at the time, fully felt like I, I deserved to be there. And you hear the music playing and hairs on the back of my neck standing up now still. It's um, incredible to look back on and you walk out to that music and fans erupt and a privilege, Mark, I can only say a privilege, a blessing and, and something I'll, I'll remember, you know, for the rest of my life. Amazing. And, and then after United, of course, I mean, I've got to be honest, for, for years, because you've made an impress, such an impression, I was thinking, like you said earlier, I wonder if he'll make his way back to us. I always keep an eye on you and think, 
Yeah, come on, come on. We didn't help ourselves by getting, uh, you know, relegated. It no. probably didn't help much. That, uh, <laughs> you know, just to the point where you think, okay, it could be maybe tempting. We were actually on a bit of a downward trajectory for a bit. It's, uh, but yes, you, 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 you did a good job at a few other clubs, didn't you? There was, yeah, Middlesbrough. I was sold to Middlesbrough for a million and a half pounds, which was, you know, I look back on at the time. I suppose it was a decent price tag for somebody leaving United. And the issue I had, Mark, was I, I went to Middlesbrough and I, I always say I was a late maturer mentally. Now looking back, now I've had time to self-reflect. And um, I kind of went into Middlesbrough expecting a first team place to be automatic. It was the wrong approach, you know, just because I'd come from United and, and played games in the first team there. It's still a Premier League team full of world-class players, you know, Janino, Gareth Southgate, Hugo Ayod, you know, uh, Mark Schwartz, just, you know, Paul Ince, phenomenal players. And my mentality wasn't quite right. And it shows in the amount of games I played over five years. It, 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 and, you know, I, I probably arguably didn't, fulfill my potential going into that club because I got in my own way instead of focusing on the one thing I can control which is is me I started to point fingers and I'm better than him or I'm playing better than this person why aren't I starting it's not the right perspective or approach if you want to become a regular first team player so where I had moments of beating United at, at, at the Riverside 3-1 um, you know playing in, in good FA Cup games against Chelsea and other games I played that, that were highlights. It was inconsistent. Yeah. And, and my, my mentality was inconsistent, which represented in a number of games I played. Um, so that's just an honest uh, appraisal and being able to self-reflect on, on my time at Middlesbrough in particular. They should have picked you against Wrexham, of course. They had a better shot then. A mistake on their part, I would argue. The, um, <laughs> and then you, you play for, for like the Swansea, Doncaster, a couple of the teams as well, yeah. uh, but also uh, went over to the States, which is where you are now. I did, yeah. I, I played two years in, in Frisco in Texas for, for SC Dallas, and it was... Um, it was more me escaping to, to rekindle, if I'm being honest. It was to come and have a different experience. And I'd always vacationed in the States, so it always intrigued me to come out here and see what the landscape was like football-wise. And I came out here and, and had two good years. So I, I, I ended up leaving uh, for family reasons in the end. Um, but the two years I had, we, we actually won the conference, the Western Conference, twice, but got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs twice. And it, it really dawned on me how this league is for sure set up differently. Mm. Um, it's more about momentum leading into the playoffs. And then are you a knockout team? Are you a tournament team? Uh, you know, that's what brings you success in the MLS. So, you know, played with a ton of great Central American, South American players and had a different experience. It didn't, you know, when I looked at the schedule, I'm, oh, I get to travel to LA and go to Colorado and go to New York. And then it was like, hang on a minute, these are three-hour flights and five-hour flights. And we're flying north to Colorado and playing at Mile High Stadium. So there's altitude. Yeah. It was a whole different dynamic to manage as a player. And also kicking off in 90-degree heat in Texas in the middle of summer um, also brought its challenges. So a wonderful experience, um, eye-opening. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm back here now 
uh, in New Jersey after spending some time in Manhattan. I mean, I, I've got to say, going off off the point in some senses, that I always feel that okay in Britain, there's there's this often a cliched view of soccer in America, um, sure. which is ne- negative and naive. I think the, mm-hmm. that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my son and I, about five years ago, we went over to New York and Washington with my wife as a, on a holiday. We, we thought she could come as well, you know. <laughs> I don't know why I put it like that. And um, but my son and I went to watch the Red Bulls. And we were very struck by the fact that, you know, far from being the artificial experience that I think in Britain, you know, a lot of traditional people want to use to think American soccer is and MLS is, it's quite the opposite. That It's a, an awful lot of fans basing themselves on the positive elements of ultra, ultra culture in mm-hmm. Europe um, and, and making it their own, if you will. So it doesn't have that unpleasant violence uh, sort of connotation but it does have that terrific commitment i remember very clearly to be honest with you the um the the the, the, the red bulls ultras it was not long after osama bin laden had been assassinated and they were singing some tremendous football songs about him <laughs> so all that, we, my son and i were, were bowled over by this but we loved we loved that the atmosphere you know, it was. It felt really authentic and and properly fan led, and I think that's something that a lot of people in Britain, genuinely, are through I would argue prejudice, don't appreciate. And you know, that's it's a, it's a very healthy setup, I think. It is. I mean, you look at Atlanta; they were they were packing out the Mercedes Benz Stadium with sixty, seventy thousand when you know under Tata Martino um, when they won the the MLS Cup and LA LA LAFC, the the latest Los Angeles club. They they pack out the stadium and it is a really healthy fun environment and it's um it's a it's a good league there's some talented players over here as you can see there's a lot of young players leaving the mls to go obviously to europe and play but they're, they're doing they're doing well um but the standard over here is is underestimated and there are a lot of players that come out here now and think it's going to be easier than what it is um i mean you look at wayne rooney coming out who did phenomenally well by the way but even he's he complimented the league. He said it, it's different. It's a it's a different set of logistics, travel wise. You know, there's some talented players from from Central and South America, talented American players, and it is an underestimated league. So um, it's good to see it grow and develop, and it will continue to do so because it's still quite a young league in terms of history. And and uh, continuing in a way that theme, of course, is that Rexham have been taken over well by a Canadian and an American. In a sort of re- remarkable uh, fairy tale, really, I think is the only way to put it, because they do genuinely seem to just want to put money in and create a positive community club which is sustainable, which is which is hard to believe. If I'm honest, and you know, I'm, I'm struggling to think of another example of a club like that, except for the likes of Blackburn, where a lifelong fan who's rich yeah. puts money in. Um, I, I tell you something, just might be interested in your perspective on this that they have not fallen into that trap of uh, saying the sorts of things that will lead to them being labelled as, oh, they've come over from America, but they don't understand football. Because A, they are very intelligent with their social media use, and B, they're incredibly humble. And they've been very quick, A, to listen and to use the correct phraseology, because, as you know, a British person will jump on someone saying soccer, even though... I've got to be a bonus about that. That's the original English words. That, the, the American use of it is more authentic than the saying football. That's a different matter. 
but also because they are uh, they're smart enough and, and, and sincere enough, I think, to say we need to learn, but we're going to have a good experience learning it rather than trying to appear as people telling us what to do with the game. Um, I, I've, has it made many waves over on on your side? That, that story it certainly has. I know in Canada, I've been speaking to some Canadian players. When I... Yeah, the US is an interesting place when you look at the big sports. You've got football, basketball, uh, baseball, and hockey. Um, the MLS is getting more coverage. Uh, that particular story was probably more social media driven, so it got some airtime there. But football or soccer is not a. It, it's not spoken about on the street corners. You're more likely to hear about the basketball game last night or the football game last night or, you know, the, the more prominent sports. It, it's catching up and may overtake baseball, hockey in terms of fan base at some point, but it's still, like I said, in, in its growth. So, but what a unique set of circumstances. And I, I agree, two humble individuals um, who understand the landscape and they're conscious of, their language and the choice of words, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to be an absolute success if, if they continue um, to build and develop and grow the club and, and and stick with the same mentality and approach and develop the culture they want. Um, I think it's going to be a huge success, and you know I'm, I'm delighted, uh, delighted for Wrexham and, and the fans and the people involved with the club. Oh, brilliant! Well, Mark, can I just say thank you so much for joining us? I just need to say somewhere at the numbers. 16 starts, one sub-appearance, seven goals from centre-mid. Uh, you, you're a class act on the eye, but obviously you delivered as well. Mark, can I just say thank you so much for joining us and also thank you so much for what you did for the club in your short spell with us. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Absolute privilege and pleasure to be on with you and it was a privilege to play for the club. The other side, you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio. Oh, Mark Wilson there, class act both on and off the pitch. I've got to say it was a real treat to, to speak to him. Other people it would be a treat to speak to, though. We asked on Twitter, who would you like, either living or not, to have a pint with and talk about Wrexham? And we had some absolutely fantastic responses. So let's have a little look through. For example, uh, Deja Sonnen, yes, I've worked out the anagram now, said... There are quite a few, but it'd have to be Rob McElhenney currently. That seems like a, I think a reasonable call. They promised yeah. him to come over to have a pint. And I think, yes, I think, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people would probably put that yeah. top if they're being realistic. Well, well, my girlfriend said she'd like a pint with him. She doesn't know anything about Rex and FC, so. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, you, you may want to keep an eye on that situation. <laughs> 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 There are a couple of other ones. It's interesting. The answers tend to fall into a few categories. Um, so another one here about ownership. Um, we said about Ryan McEl uh, Rob McEl McElhenney. Well, here's one of <laughs> having a, a little bit of an, uh, a nip at our other owner, uh, India Autry, saying Ryan Gosling, the wrong Ryan, because Ryan Reynolds is doing too much right now. Wow, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's him told yes yeah Make, keep, yeah. keep your eye on the club mate <laughs> <laughs> how about Timothy yeah. Lewis here's a beauty this 
I've always fancied a chat with Alex Hamilton about Wrexham FC. Never a <laughs> pint, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a lot yeah, because you probably end up chucking the pint over him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he's, uh, yeah, he'd get away with it quite nicely, wouldn't he, brother, by not having a chat to him. There are some beautiful um, sort of heartfelt messages as well. Andy Pierce, who we know is a tremendous, uh, has this comment. Oh, that's beautiful. Let's say it's definitely my granddad for sentimental reasons. He died when I was one, a season ticket holder in the old Mold Rose. My dad said Stan would have many a heated debate with someone sitting nearby <laughs> over such things as who should be at fullback and such. I think we'd have got on well. I think you're right there, Andy. I yeah. think that's a, that's beautiful. That is. Oh, that's that's a lovely one. That one. I, I, in fact, I, I, we we were talking about who we would choose. Um, maybe that's a point. Where maybe you should mention what other people you were thinking about. Yeah, um, I was thinking, and I don't, I didn't know him personally, but I think every every Wrexham fan has a moment with this Wrexham fan who sadly passed away, and it was Jacko, mm. the voice of the cop, wasn't he? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I don't think the atmosphere has been the same really since he's passed away. And he, he was such a character; he was the type of guy who could get the crowd going, no matter if we were two nil up or three nil down. He he was brilliant and I'd love to hear all his fantastic stories about going to watch Wrexham home and away. And I'd also like to tell him about these new owners who are buying the club as well. And I'd love to see his reaction to it. Oh, so that's a lovely thought, that. The, the fact that you, you know, I think naturally, or I, I was thinking this is about who would you want to listen to over a pint in a way. Yeah. But yeah, to actually give him that good news, that amazing news. Oh, so that's a brilliant thought. Yeah. And God, he'll have some tales to tell. Goodness oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's got Jacko tales to tell them. So I've always loved, I remember going to, to Bristol Rovers when they played at Bath. And it was a, I think it might have been an Easter Monday or something like that. I'm sure it was like a bank holiday game. It was burning hot and there's no roof on the terrace. We lost 4-2. And I always remember Jacko getting the, fat, uh, the <laughs> getting the whole away end to do the, that. If you've only got one arm, clap your hands. <laughs> and um, it's just wonderful. And there were often away games where you would just see these bemused home fans. Oh, <laughs> at Orient, uh, that was in the nineties, a late game, uh, late in the season. An audience were were protesting against their their board, and he led the fans, uh, Wrexham fans, in joining the protest. And the protest stopped. But as a protest, they were all chanting, sack the board. But all the Wrexham fans started joining in, sack the board, sack the board, sack the board. And the Orient fans showed up. They were like. What are you doing? What, why? It was just bizarre. Oh, I just love that sort of thing. It was fantastic. My, my favourite story of his is when, uh, the, for me, the iconic, an iconic game that's rarely talking about is my favourite game of all time was Wrexham Shrewsbury away at, at the last game at their old ground. And uh, I remember when Proctor buried that goal, I remember just the whole place erupting and I remember turning round and he was climbing up the stands topless. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was just, it was just a brilliant. He, he he was such a great character and for me. He's a Wrexham legend, Wrexham FC legend, AFC legends, and not just on the on the pitch. They're the everyday person who goes to watch the games and whoever works at the club. So yeah, he's definitely my fit, first pick. Brilliant, brilliant that. Um, here's some more interesting ones as well. Dan the Man uh, says, if you'd asked me this weeks ago. 
I'd say anyone because you know pubs for shots. Get out of that. Now I'd say bootlegger for the laughter. Good call. Mm. Remember, everybody, you can sponsor Dragonheart. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. You know, if you can, if you meet some Starmer, you must have a bit. <laughs> intent um, or Rob Evans Rob being a local lad he did something lads dream about playing for the hometown club and he continues oh. Rob probably encouraged Jordan Davis and others to do the same I know things didn't work out for him well playing wise for Exum but he's a good lad a hundred percent agree with yeah that. that's a superb call that isn't it I mean yeah Robbie Evans Wrexham through and through Oh, 100%. Mark Jones would be another one as well, and he's yeah. a local lad to have a have a pint with. Yeah, that must be an amazing feeling playing for your your hometown, yeah. especially being Wrexham and hearing stories of of your child, someone fulfilling uh, thousands of Wrexham people's childhood dreams would be amazing to hear. Well, I mean, as Mark Wilson was saying in that interview about coming on. Uh, and, and playing in the midfields with those star Man United midfielders. You know, it, it's wow, what a sensation mm. to come out of that pitch and actually play with those players. Um, yeah, that's a great call. That is absolutely great yeah. call. I'm so I sorry like for Rob. You know, I think if he hadn't had those injuries um, and, you know, in the time when Dean Keats knew he had a tight budget, I think he probably would have kept Evans myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a cracking call, that. Um, Spirit of 78 now that's classic players well Spirit of 78 Route 1 spot on does what it says in the tin two words Tommy Bamford yes yeah. I quite like to talk to a man who scored 200 goals for excellent yeah <laughs> yeah probably, <laughs> well, probably can't remember all of them well, well <laughs> <that> absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah, who would be able to yeah. uh, scoring at a rate essentially of one a game yeah not that's... bad yeah, that's good. <laughs> and then Peter Howell. Hi, Peter. Uh, here's a nice one. Uh, Eddie May. Uh, I, I, I sometimes think, do people forget Eddie May a touch? Because you, you have the heroes of the 77-78 season and people like Joey, who slightly predated it. But then Eddie May predates that, so he doesn't get that kudos. But he was key when Wrexham got promoted 69-70 and was a massive figure. Uh, Peter says... I met him once when I was 12, but was so awestruck and shy. I didn't know what to say to him. Now, though, I'd love to talk to him about his time at Wrexham and his success as a manager at many clubs, including a spell in Zimbabwe. Um, wow. I mean, yeah, what a shame that he's no longer around to yeah. talk to. A, 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 manager, a, a, a massive centre-back, a goal-scoring centre-back, a leader and a massive character. I mean, yeah, it really would have been... Yeah. You know, players, I, I'm going to throw one of mine in now, if you like. Yeah. Um, because I think that, that okay, you know, I, I, my degrees in history, I'm a historian, I guess, in some small way. I'm currently working on a, a history of the football club, and I find it fascinating just hearing people talking about not just their stories, but just how football was in a different era. Um. And I would like to do that sort of, that idea of Eddie May, you know, people from the sort of prehistory of Wrexham. It'd be fascinating to talk to somebody from before we were in the Football League, when football was a very different mm. game. You know, I've, I've spoken to players who, who, you know, would work a shift down the pits and then come and play. You know, or even just players, you know, just players from before I remember. 
So that's one of the things I enjoy yeah. when I've gone around and interviewed people that I never saw play. I know their name. Um, and I like to say, you know, I'm almost like just trying to say, what was that bloke like? You know what I mean? <laughs> what was yeah. this player like? I don't want to know. I want a picture in my head. Of course, if, if Peter, there is one thing, which is, let's see, I should have done my preparation here. Yeah, it is. Eddie May did write an autobiography on my wall of Wrexham. That's not the last time <laughs> I'll refer to the wall of Wrexham, by the way. But Eddie May did write an autobiography. So um, it was uh, published, I think, posthumously by his son who pulled it all together. But yeah, they're, they're, you know, so at least maybe we could find out a little bit uh, about him from that. Yeah. I just think um, that's a really interesting thing to talk to a someone who's played football in a completely different area when the town was completely different where when when technology was a completely different when everything was completely different society in general was yeah, completely yeah. different it would just be interesting to not just to pet their head about football but just to pet their head about mm. life in general yeah i mean if i'm honest with you like i said i'm working on the history of the club i'll God knows how long it'll take me to do it because I want to look at that sort of thing. I don't want it to just be a list of football results. You know, that, that's a boring read. What was Wrexham like at different stages? Yeah. And, and it does fascinate me that the way that I think I mentioned this before, Scottish immigration because of the mines. So you've got a lot of Scottish players who play for Wrexham, even though it's miles away from home, because that was a cultural thing that was happening anyway. Scots coming down to mine. It's just so many things, and just how towns were different, how life was different, and how football was like strikingly different. You know, I mean, I start, you know, look at some of those old, the old footage of old matches. It's gripping to look at it and think that's the yeah. same game. Yeah, just look at and it. It's it, that's uh, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And I think another another set of players who I'd love to have a pint with is any of the Trinidad and Tobago lads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to come from. <laughs> A completely different culture yeah to fly over and end up in a little town in Wrexham and be mm. local celebrities would be a fan that fantastic talk especially well i know he wasn't one of the original ones but marvin andrews would be an excellent uh, conversation in the pub wouldn't he <laughs> oh god yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if he drinks i'm not totally sure if he drinks yeah he, he, well we can have a cup of coffee instead exactly exactly he's got he's got energy <laughs> enough Anyway, yeah. another autobiography there, it's worth reading. Yeah. Uh, that, I, read, I think I said you, I read that on yeah. uh, one day on his debut on the train going to Eastbourne. And all the stories about him playing football on rocks in bare feet and things like that. I mean, yeah, these are a heck of a character. I, that's a great call, that. I, I yeah, love, uh, love that. I, I, I highly suggest if people aren't at the moment, check out his Twitter on a Friday. He's always singing a song and he's always happy. It, it always it will make you laugh, guaranteed. Oh man, that's that's a that's a good call, good take. <laughs> um, I'll I'll throw in one more from me then, but then I, I, I there's a beauty to end on that is fascinating. Um, and let me use my wall of Wrexham again. Um, Steve Fox, when I was a kid. Wrexham by Steve Fox, and he was your classic sort of um, <laughs> erratic winger. He's always trying to do things. Sometimes it wouldn't come off. Uh, sometimes they did. Uh, in doing this research afterwards, I found out, which I didn't know at the time because I was a kid, he was a heck of a character off the pitch, a real character. There are some crazy daft stories about him. Um, but he was a real exciting player. He was quick. He would dribble. He would shoot from distance. 
And he was sort of, he and David Giles, who we bought as well as a Welsh international, um, were sort of brought in when Mickey Thomas left as sort of wide attacking players who could sort of do similar job. And they were thick as thieves off the pitch. Um, but yeah, Fox was a, a very exciting sort of quixotic character. And although, um, you know, I remember him from good football moments and there's one iconic picture of Fox standing on the cop celebrated a goal on the fence when the fences were up with a packed cop and him like raising his fist. Um, in some ways, the thing I remember most was him. And I went to see Wrexham play on a Saturday morning in a reserve game against Altrincham. Wrexham reserves against Altrincham first team. The referee was terrible. Fox had been dropped to the reserves and obviously was not happy. And the referee kept making, making decisions Fox didn't like. And in the end, Fox just turned down and drilled the ball into his stomach from 10 yards away. <laughs> definitely deliberate and the ref didn't send him off oh the, the ref well. was, was a bit scared by then as Fox was like following him around grumbling at him all the time he was so annoyed <laughs> that he'd been dropped to the reserves and then this idiot was refereeing him and he just smashed it into his stomach and the referee was just oh, don't do that again and walked away because look, he was a bit he was a bit scared of what might happen while well, Steve Fox is the right character really enjoyed watching him oh that that would be an excellent choice oh I'll tell you um, there's a great story about him with outboard motor as well. I'll tell you that after we finish broadcasting. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> if you if we get enough uh, sponsorship money, then I'll tell it next week. But <laughs> that's where it, oh, that could work. This is a beauty that I, I've left to last. Stephen Rubio, who clearly is a, a fan from America, um, as, as a cracking call, Pete Davis. Because the book he wrote for us, Americans, in 1994, introduced me to Wrexham. And back to the wall of Wrexham we go. This incredible <laughs> sort of forgotten book. Now, I will say as well, I mean, people like Pete Jones and Gareth Davis, who wrote histories of, of, or historical research in the club, you know, they are wonderful to talk to because mm. they could tell you so many stories. But this is a remarkable book. Um, published incredibly, in, uh, for the 1994 World Cup, when it was assumed that Americans knew nothing about football. And so Pete Davis, who, goes, who wrote the classic all-cried-out book about the 1990 World Cup and England's run to the semi-finals, which is you know, one of the great classic books. In fact, I just thought, why haven't I got it ready to, to show you? Because it's here somewhere. I don't know about um, he basically talks, explains football to imaginary Americans who he assumes know nothing about football. So part of it is like a sort of guide to how football works. But the thing he uses to illustrate it is a Wrexham season. And wonderfully, it's the season we go up in 1992-93. I just picked up a random page. And, wow. And there we are. He explains the 4-4-2 formation with Wrexham's promotion team and wow. how they lined up and what they were doing. And so, it, it's, but it's not, you know, it's not just basic. There's lots of interesting, sort of, you know, he does actually genuinely follow the Wrexham team and as a journalist, and there's really interesting interviews with players. I remember Humes and Penjik being very sort of interesting. And it's a cracking book. I don't know how available it still is, but it is one of his. Here's him explaining, you'll never walk alone. So it's a wonderful sort of, Mm. widespread of trying to show people what football culture is but the thread running all the way through it is, is our promotion season and, it, wow. and it gives you, there's, I, I would argue 
a better insight into Wrexham's promotion season than this than anywhere else. You know, it's it's a really good read. That's so, that's that's really cool. To be fair, fantastic choice by Steve. That I mean, really, yeah, <laughs> really, uh, that yeah, spot on. I'd forgotten all about that, and yeah, it's a, it's a beauty. That is that is brilliant. And now the second question I lead to you: What beer would you pick? Ooh. <laughs> oh, you. Well, <laughs> he turns away, hoping that I can avoid the question. Um, I really love Belgian beer. Yeah. Um, and if any of the Belgian breweries want to sponsor us. Sorry, no. I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> I? It's get, I'm, get, I'm getting cheapened now, aren't I? Um, I really love Belgian beer. So I think uh, a nice a nice Saison, friend, a Belgian Saison maybe, or... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I'd probably plump for something like that. I do like a good um a good gers, as you're aware as well. Yes, and the the, the Boone's Mariage Parfait. Mm, mm. That's 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 the good stuff. But Ooh, in general, nice. uh, uh, Belgian beer or Trappist beers are nice. Yeah. Uh, in general, anything Belgian, I'm going to be quite happy with, except possibly Fellaini. Because he was a bit too clumsy for my liking. <laughs> a bit too obvious for my liking. For my palate. What would you uh, have? Oh, I, as, of course, I like my Belgium and German beers as well. But maybe if they want to sponsor us, a pint of bootlegger. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is eventually, eventually, this will work. <laughs> if, we, if we just keep on saying them yeah. out and about, then maybe... Yeah. One day. Definitely. <laughs> the only trouble is, of course, we would give the money to the media team, so it would only be benefiting to Wrexham Football Club, not us. Oh, we've not thought this through, have we? No, we haven't. No. Fancy starting a behind a paywall League of Wales podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It'll mostly be about Max Clemens and Jake Bickerstaff. Yeah, we we'll just talk about them all week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so we'll we'll talk numbers afterwards. <laughs> well, I reckon a happy chat about beer is just about the best way to finish uh, a podcast about football. So, Jay, again, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking about the blackout and I've t- really enjoyed talking about the the who he'd like his pint with then. Uh, really good fun. Yeah, cracking that, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant yeah. ideas. So fantastic. And so to end the show, you'd want to have a pint with this guy, surely. You couldn't say no. It's time for Jay Harris and his Hollywood send-off. <laughs> this is Jay Harris and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio. <laughs> this is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Rexham AFC media team. <laughs>